Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
Good morning, beautiful people. I want to thank you for joining me here this morning. I am Nube Brown, your host of Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. We are going to be spending most of the hour with Hatari Olubala, also known as Baba Hatari, and he will be talking about his warrior healing circles that um, he will be uh, conducting the fourth one coming up uh, this Saturday from 5 to 8 p.m. But you will hear more about that and and how he got to uh, the, the the creation of the Warriors he, Warrior Healing Circles. And um, Hatari is also a, a former... Uh, former caged community member, also known as a, uh, a survivor of modern-day slavery taking place within our prisons, uh, spent 33 years behind the walls, and we are going to be hearing from him and, again, the work that he is doing now that he is out. All right, let's get busy. All right. Also, I want to remind you that KPOO San Francisco 89.5 is still in their fall winter fun drive. This is all the way through December. So please make those donations. You've heard me if you've if you've heard me when I am on Bayview TV breaking news out of the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper, then you will hear me talk about donations are actually investments. We need to keep this radio station alive, thriving. Um, it is the last or the remaining, right? Um, black owned, black led uh, radio station here in San Francisco. It is a treasure and we want to make sure that it stays around. And also um, for me personally, I am so grateful to be able to have this hour where we can talk about prison related issues 100%. So please make that investment, make that donation. You can do that by credit card. Just go to kpoo.com to make a credit card donation. You can uh, donate by uh, via PayPal. And if you want to send in a check, you can, it is a tax deductible donation by mail and you make the checks pay payable to KPOO and mail it to KPOO PO Box 156650 San Francisco, California 94115 and of course they say your generosity is greatly appreciated as it is. All right, here we go. I sat down with Hatari Olubala and um, asked him to please introduce himself uh, to our listening audience, all of you, and to tell us how he got to creating the Warriors Healing Circles. Aloha to everybody out there. That's a traditional Yoruba greetings. Uh, as he said, my name is Hatari Alubala, and I'm originally from Houston, Texas. In 1975, I was sent to Los Angeles after my father was taken from me. And that's where my education started, on the streets of Los Angeles. In 1987, I was convicted of first-degree murder and two counts of armed robbery, and I was sentenced to 28 years to life. And I spent 33 years in captivity, and I wasn't released until November 23rd of last year. While incarcerated, I experienced a lot of injustices aimed at blacks, and I felt that someone had to do something 
other than what was already being done. So I took it upon myself to do everything I could to make our conditions better. Uh, after multiple incidents and situations with the pigs inside, I realized that I needed to do self-work first to be more effective to my people. So I started doing self-analysis and that took me into trauma. And as I looked deeper into trauma, I recognized that I had been traumatized of childhood. I have an opportunity to ever identify, heal, and address my traumas. Everything that I did from that point on was influenced by that trauma. So I made a lot of bad choices and my logic was irrational. But I believed that I was doing what was right to do because I didn't understand anything other than what I was doing. So as a result of that, and doing my self-work, I started to heal some of my own traumas. And once I got to a point where I felt I had made enough progress, I recognized that this was a missing component within the prison industrial complex. And I committed myself to providing this for my people. So I created a group. The first group I created was Yoruba Service. I introduced that into the prison system. And it focused on traditional African spiritual cultivation and getting back to our roots, tapping into the energies and power of our ancestors and drawing from their experiences to make our experiences in the future better. Then came the Warrior Healing Circle, and that's when I dealt directly with trauma. As a result of the work I did with trauma, I started to understand if we don't heal our traumas, we will never change our plight. We've been going through the exact same thing for decades. And we're still in the same position we were. We just have more token positions given to us. But there's no genuine progress within our interrelationship with each other. So based on that, I'm committed to healing my people. I'm 51 and I did 33 years in prison. And I started off in Pelican Bay. I went to the shoe and suffered that the injustices that happen to many of us that go to the shoe. So by the grace of the ancestors, I'm now out here and I'm committed to doing what's necessary to heal our people. I have two sisters, several brothers that I'm not close to because of their trauma. So I'm basically functioning from a space of aloneness but I'm not going to give up and I'm going to be here for us no matter what so that's who I am and thank you for having me Nube of, of course um, and I and I want to thank you for sharing because um, what you're saying about this the deep self-work that needs to happen first is really um, so much of what has been denied us. And <clears throat> I mean, ever since we were, we were brought over here and, and it's also work that is, that's, it's just not required of us. We don't require of each other. We don't require um, in society. We don't make it a priority 
uh, for for right living. So I really appreciate you you starting with that. And I want to ask you, obviously, you had already been traumatized by the time that you were snatched off of the streets. Um, from when you say you 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 lost your father. Um, I don't know if you want to get into that, but I, um, if you do, please uh, speak up. Um, if it, but I do want to ask you when, because you were young when you went inside. You were obviously in your early twenties. I was sixteen. Oh, you were sixteen. Yes. Okay, so that's oh, and even at in the early twenties, well, I was going to say that there was genocidal. Um, exactly. snatching you from the streets was the beginning of, um, well, well, it's an ongoing, long, drawn-out genocidal practices against Black, Brown, and Indigenous people. But uh, this is genocide by uh, uh, taking a young person and, in, and enslaving them, uh, modern-day enslaving them, into their, you know, older years. Those years of being able to, uh, well make babies, right? Um, that has changed a lot. But I want to know, so you're 16 years old. How long did it take you to figure out and what is it that motivated you to say, I need to do work on myself? Well, when I first went in, I caught a case immediately. I was in Chino. I was, I was initially sentenced to California Youth Authority. Mm-hmm. But when I went there, they were like, no, he shouldn't be here. He needs to be in prison. So mm-hmm. they sent me to Chino, and yeah. I caught a case. 16 years old. They're saying, no, he shouldn't be here where you might get even, you know, some semblance of treating you like you are a young person. No, they, they immediately say you need to go to prison, an adult prison. Yes. Yes. Okay. So... I end up in Chino. I caught a case in Chino. And uh, as soon as I went there. And Pelican Bay Prison was just recently opened. So my first case, they sent me to Pelican Bay. Now, Pelican Bay was said to be the prison where they send people that's been in prison a long time and they considered disruptive. When in reality, it was just brothers that wasn't going for being mistreated. So they decided to send me there. So I'm young mentally and emotionally. I'm not prepared for what's going to happen. See, so You're, so are, you, there are and, you still 16 when they send you? No, the- by the time I actually get to prison, I'm 18. Oh, my God. You're a baby. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm just about to hit 19 years old. And uh, so I end up catching candy, send me to Pelican Bay Shoe. So that's when I met a lot of brothers who became instrumental in my growth and development. And they immediately understood that this is not the place for this young brother. So they engaged me in a little activity like Qigong, Tai Chi, speaking Swahili, studying, working out, and things designed to keep me from focusing on mm. what was going to happen. So I eventually got out and, uh, I ended up blacking out and I beat a cellie of mine. And that's when I realized that I really truly needed help. Cause I didn't understand that I had already been affected. 
the shoe just exasperated the trauma that I had already had. But again, I didn't understand this because I hadn't been studying that deeply about trauma yet. So when that happened, I went through a real state of depression because I'm like, I could have killed this brother. And this is a brother. And it wasn't because I had some type of ill feeling towards him. It's because I was so traumatized that my reasoning and my logic was twisted. So that's when I decided I needed to do something because what I wasn't going to do is I wasn't going to continuously victimize my own people. And that started me down a course of looking into any and everything that I felt can be of benefit to me. I read everything from philosophy to religion. Just trying to get some understanding of what was wrong with me. And I ended up coming across an article that was talking about trauma. So I said, well, let me see what trauma's about. And I looked into it and I'm like, this sounds like something I've been through. And so I decided to focus solely on trauma for a while. So I spent maybe seven, eight years just looking into trauma, its impacts, and how it influenced every aspect of the individual life, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, every aspect. And I started to see signs that I had in what I was learning. I'm like, okay, so this is the thing. This is what I'm doing, I'm doing. So I said, okay, I need to start to heal myself. And at this time, the prison industrial complex didn't offer this for us. They didn't offer genuine healing opportunities. So I had to do all this on my own. And a lot of the brothers, they hadn't looked into trauma because they're more politically orientated. So they're looking at ideologies and philosophies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See? Mm-hmm. So they, they overlooked the fact that trauma is the key. Psychology wasn't a thing for the brothers at this time. Sure. So I decided, okay, so I need to start looking at psychology, I need to start looking at trauma. And then I did then I started having to face things about myself that at that time, still mentally young, I wasn't ready to process. But being that I'm goal and result orientated, I made myself do it. Say, okay, you have to get this done. And as I started that process, I noticed little by little, the more I started to understand the more I started to change. Then it became about, okay, this is what we need. This is the missing component. And that's what I did from that moment on. And that probably was like in, I'm going to say 2007, when I came to the conclusion that trauma has to be the primary focus if our objective is to truly come together as a people and build what we need to build for us and repair our interrelationships with each other. It's, 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 it's always remarkable to me. Um, I don't want to trivialize in any way, anything that you're saying when I say that the, the, I, I've heard from a lot of prisoners and what y'all are able to accomplish inside um, under the worst circumstances to get to even some level of what you're talking about. Um, again, I, 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 it never ceases to amaze me and also why we need to hear um, from you, you all 
um, more often. When did the, when did it occur to you that this, as you were understanding the work that, that you needed to do to heal this trauma and what you had gone through, uh, that in fact, um, your, your father had gone through the same, had it been, when your people, when did, but just closer to home, when you're, when you must have realized that, oh my gosh, my dad, my father also experienced this trauma. My mother experienced this trauma. What does that mean in terms of why your father, why my father was taken from me and that trauma? Well, I started to look at our history, just mm -hmm. African history in general. Mm -hmm. And I noticed prior to our interaction with Europeans, we didn't have a lot of the problems that we have now. We had problems like any other people on earth, but our cultural components is what allowed us to move past them and continue to progress. But upon our interaction with Europeans, white Americans, or whatever people want to call them these days, things changed because the values were different. The worldview was different. And we didn't understand that the worldview was different. So when we engaged them and interacted with them, it came out then. But by this time, it's too late. See, mm -hmm. we're in captivity. We being killed. We being sold. Sisters is being raped. Brothers is being killed. Our children is being taken from us. I'm like, well, wait a minute. This is a pattern. And so I started to track the pattern. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, this pattern started then, but it leads up to right now. This is actually going on right now. Mm -hmm. It's just in a different form. And that's what threw a lot of people because it's not blatant as it was then. We're not being hung from trees. We're just being shot in a car with a little sister in the back seat watching these pigs murder one of our brothers. But that's the exact same thing as being hung from a tree. And that's when I started to recognize my father's not here <clears throat> because it's not because he didn't want to be here. It's because he don't know what it means to truly be there for his people, for his community, for his children, because they made absolutely certain that these values were removed from us and replaced with their value, which is selfishness and individualism. And that's when I recognize, okay, so this is what my family's going through. This has been handed down from generation to generation because this trauma flows in our blood. So it was transferred from that generation to the next generation up to the current generation. And that's when I said, okay, I need to get on this. And I haven't looked back since then. And I'm glad for that. Um, I would love for you to talk about the Aruba services that you started and um, in relation to your, 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 your progress of under your progress forward and understanding how important it was to, uh, to focus on, on the trauma and how you were uh, now taking it to that place of um, from a historical reference place about your people. 
Well, as I started to study, I started to recognize that our strength came from our spiritual groundedness. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so that's where I need to start. So I started to look in traditional practices of our people. And I stumbled across the Yoruba. And I noticed that within the culture of Yoruba, we have a direct connection to the spiritual realm that influences everything we do in the physical realm. And I'm like, so that's the missing component. And I started to evaluate how us Americans, or black Americans rather, focus on spirituality. It's not to the extent that it was traditionally. We didn't directly engage the spirits. We didn't sit and call on them and interact with them on a daily basis. We called on them in times of stress and chaos. You know, it, it was no nurturing relationship. I'm like, so this is the thing. So we only call on the ancestors and the Arisha when we're in trauma or when we in, we're up against it or when things are hard or when things are not going our way. We don't nurture just a natural relationship between us and the spiritual realm. And that was where our strength came from. And the more I looked into it, I started to recognize that the whites understood that. And that's why they banned us from practicing our spirituality. Because they understood that this is where their strengths come from. They're connected to a realm that we can't access to the degree that they are because this is their base. See? So I decided, okay, so we need to bring this in. So I petitioned the prison. You know, they got a process. You got to petition the prison to have a service. You got to write out exactly what the service is. You have to show what it's about, what you're going to do, the ceremonies that's necessary, what do you need to practice this particular faith. And then you got to write this out and present it to the administration for them to give their authorization. Now, when I did that, I had already started studying Yoruba with other brothers on the yard because I wasn't going to sit around and wait for the pigs to tell me that it's okay to acknowledge my own heritage. So I had already started the process. The ancestors got involved and we ended up having a service. So from that point on, it was all about teaching the brothers how to reconnect with their traditional values and their ancestors. And once that started to happen, and brothers started to take that serious and perform these ceremonies, perform these rituals, and bow down to the ancestors, I started to notice subtle changes in how we interacted with each other. And that just solidified the value of our traditional way and how important it is for us to get back to our roots and stop subscribing to other people's way of life and try to modify their way of life to fit what we think we need. We have a tradition. We have a worldview. We have a way of life. The thing is, we just got to get back to it. It's been proven to work. So, you know, pigs did what pigs do. They saw a lot of brothers start coming from different other religious entities. Mm. And they feel like, okay, this is a problem now. You got dudes that practice Buddhism. You got dudes that's Christians. You got dudes that's Muslims. You got the Hebrew Israelite, but all these dudes is popping up in this Yoruba service. So this is a problem. They don't mind when each service is separate. Mm-hmm. The divide and conquer they, on on the exactly. spiritual level. And here you are Absolutely. with the, you know, the Black Panther Party, Fred Hampton, Rainbow Coalition of Spiritual Services. Right. So okay. that's when they like, okay, this dude is a problem. 
Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. dude is pulling all these mm-hmm. different entities into one group. That's unacceptable to us because now we're going to lose control. See, because they're finding similarities. That's not what we want. We want them to see themselves as individual entities. See, that way you can pit us against each other because you're going to focus on the things that separate us rather than the things that bring us together. And so from that point on, I'm like, okay, we need to push this. So I started getting at the brothers, and we like, okay, let's do it. And we maintained Yoruba service all the way up until I got paroled in November 23rd of 2021, or 2020, excuse me. I never, ever, ever let them stop that. Even when they wouldn't give us service time in the chapel, I would just hold it on the yard. I would hold it in the day room. I hold it at my cage door. But I never allowed them to stop it. Because that's where the strength of our people come from. The strength of African people have always been our spiritual connectedness. That's why we were able to endure all the atrocities that was committed against us. That's why we're still standing. All right. If you are just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown, here at KPOO San Francisco 89.5. And we are in conversation with Hatari Olubala about his spiritual journey during his 32 years of in, um, modern day enslavement. We are going to take a quick musical break now with a piece that was offered to us by Hatari. It's the powerful Ogun song to break curses and gain prosperity.
And the ancestors never, ever once left our side. We just forgot how to communicate with them. That's it. But they never, ever gave up on all those times where we believe it was just us getting us through. That's not true at all. It was them standing by us. You are our children, and we're going to support you. That's our way. They say we stand on the shoulders of the elders that came before us. These are not uh, catchphrases, you know, or hashtags. These are directives. You stand on the shoulders of those who come before you. They left a blueprint. But throughout the decades, these white folks have been successful, successful in turning us away from the thing that's going to get us back to where we need to be and giving us what they want us to have. So you have a lot of black Christians, you have a lot of black A's, you got a lot of black Muslims. And I'm not knocking any of those, but each people have something that was given to them to enhance and nurture their best selves. And they made sure we didn't know what that was. They understood that we're spiritual by nature, so we're going to gravitate towards something spiritual. So the thing was, we can't let them know what they think or we got to give them something because they're going to gravitate to it irregardless. And that's what ended up happening. So you have all of us now, very, very few of us, especially in the United States, practice the traditional way of our ancestors. I'm I, I, I'm so appreciative of um, of what you brought up um, around the the spiritual aspect of this. I don't know. I think I may have mentioned to you that there was just a um, an international tribunal of we charge genocide. Yes. And um, one of the things that came out of it for me and, and has been showing up for me, Atari, is this aspect of spirituality. And I didn't really, I, it was still kind of formulating in terms of being in the movement. And I just want to read a line from Salifu Mack wrote a piece, kind of a post-tribunal um, update on the, the, the tribunal. And I want to, he wrote here, land acknowledgement and invitation of our ancestors are traditions that are important to indigenous, including African societies all around the world. Looking at our pasts, we understand that justice and spirituality often work hand in hand. And I feel like that's so much of what you're speaking of right now. Absolutely. I want to know, and from that place, because I find this remarkable, because we have been so oriented uh, with the men inside um, in the work, I'll just say personally for me that I do, with the sociopolitical um, commentary from these guys. Although I have, of course, experienced, because I, you know, just in talking with them over long periods of times, we do get into the spirituality aspect of it. Um, and get down to more kind of, yeah, philosophies and, and um, yeah, and the spiritual uh, thought processes as well. When did the transformation uh, happen where you were could actually start sharing what it is that you were experiencing and understanding about how important it was through the with the trauma um, and that that was kind of that missing component and along with the sociopolitical commentary understanding the, our past but so when did that take place 
uh, yeah, when did you start sharing that with some of the other brothers inside? And how was it received when you first started sharing it? I started sharing it in 1996. I started a group called Assess. Oh, okay. It's the African Spiritual and Educational Study Service. I was in Calipatria State Prison. And I decided we needed to establish a place where we can go and really talk about this. And not just that, but also what it means to be black men. What were our responsibilities to our children, to our women, to our communities, to our nation? So I petitioned the prison, and you know we went through that process, and eventually we got it. And so that's when I started to focus solely on it. And that was the first group that I established to set up a place where we can go in there and truly talk about the things that we needed to talk about, the thing that was so-called taboo or you can't talk about this because you're not this and you're not that. It was a place where the ancestors governed. Mm. I would go in in the morning and I would do a ceremony to invoke our ancestors and tell them, I need you to be present. And I need you to guide me because I don't have enough experience in this field to heal us. So if you guide, I will listen. And that's when it started in 1996 in Calipatria State Prison with a group called Assess. Wow. Oh, that's that's beautiful. Can you give us some idea of what you saw Um with the other men in terms of their transformation or just hearing about this or being a part of this for the very first I mean, time? Beautiful. I mean, you had, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, you had brothers that really did communicate a lot on the yard because we're not supposed to. <laughs> but <laughs> right. as a result of us having these classes and studying these books and having these discussions and brothers is opening up and talking about things that they would never, ever discuss I started noticing a genuine connection between the brothers starting to build because you're in this space where you're talking about abandonment, you're talking about abuse, you're talking about betrayal, and these are things that you're taught not to share. But in this room, in this space that's governed by the ancestors, you feel comfortable enough to trust in your brothers that's sitting here and share this with them knowing that this will never, ever be used against you and that it actually matters to them. And that took from the chapel to the yard, from the yard to the building, from the building to the cell. And I was like, this is a beautiful thing to see these brothers that normally would interact, walking last with each other, working out together, you know, just being with each other, breaking bread, throwing spreads, you know, going on visits together. That's, I can't even describe, I have no words to describe how beautiful it was to see our brothers truly be a people. And that's just strengthened my commitment to us. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you how this found its way kind of coming up against the the concrete obviously the, the other concrete literal concrete system that you were in that um was basically denying you your freedom so you're experiencing this inside and how that felt in terms of still that reality of wanting to have this happen get these guys free 
so that you're on the other side of the wall. Well, I don't, under, I don't really know how, but I understood that this was the key to getting us out. Okay. And I, that has a lot to do with the rituals and the ceremonies I perform every day, eight days on a rune ifa. On a rune ifa is when I invoke the Agun, which is ancestors, and I sit with them in a state of trance, and I get my instructions. And I've learned over the years not to question their instructions because they see further than us. And I would follow their directives. I say, this is it. This is the thing. But it was difficult because I had been conditioned by being in America to question everything. Do your own thing. You know better than everybody. So I struggled here and there. But for the most part, my nature allowed me to be successful. And I sort of noticed how even in the class, the teachings and and the emotional expressions and the, removing the obstacles and the walls went to the visiting room with brothers and their families, brothers and their daughters and sons, brothers and their spouses, and they would take that to them and they're more open. And by them being more open, they're becoming closer and closer to their family unit, which ultimately is the foundation of black power. The family unit is the core component of black power because everything starts within the household. And for us to pay, it got to a point I no longer cared because I understood at this point that, oh, you actually can't stop this. Oh, I get it now. As long as I follow the instructions, you literally have no direct power to prevent this from actually happening. And once I understood that, I no longer cared about what the pigs was going to do. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. Did you see that happening also with the men you were working with? Were they Absolutely. that power? That's so beautiful. I was extremely proud of them. I mean, it was times where I was sitting in my cell and I would think about the progress I've seen on brothers. And it would literally, like, overwhelm me. And I would just thank the ancestors for allowing me to be used to get this done because it was necessary. And I told her, I will never forsake y'all and I will never betray you. I will serve my people till I die. I'll never let you down. And I haven't since then. Every single day at 5 a.m. I get up and I bow to the ancestors. I go to my altar, light my candle, and I evoke them. And I tell them how much I appreciate their love and support. And I ask them, please, if I make a mistake, please forgive me and give me the opportunity to rectify. And they have always done that. I said have never, ever left our side, but we continue to neglect them. And they love us so profoundly that they don't care. They're like, we're here. And one day you'll see it. And can I ask you, um, what brought the the Aruba to you as opposed to something else? What? Uh, I had a, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had a, uh, uh, <laughs> I had a cell phone. <laughs> and, uh, Great. <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I was in a joint and I was just, you know, touching bases with my people, checking on them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at this time, I was studying different forms of African spirituality, and I was looking at each one. And so I came across something that said that 
do a divination. A divination is where a Babalawa, which is the high priest in the Yoruba culture, uh, accesses the spiritual realm to get a blueprint as to what your life should be. Hmm. So I end up doing this. And the brother name was uh, uh, Ifo Bawali Esomadi. And so he did it. He invoked the ancestors and he said, did you know you was a priest? Mm. I said, excuse me. Wow. He said, you're a high priest. You're a Babalawo. You have to be initiated into the traditional way of our people. So I'm like, whoa, okay. I automatically understood exactly what he said without having enough knowledge for the information to share with other people. But I instinctively understood and then I started to review my life. I said, this is why I was doing these things. This is why I would cater to the people. This is why I would do this. I'm like, oh. So I'm like, okay, Baba. And Baba is father in Yoruba. What's the next step? So he gave me uh, a format of what I had to do to nurture myself. So I started doing those things. And I can't even express to you there's there's no words for a lot of this new baby because some of this stuff is just beyond verbal explanation you have to feel it this is beyond words but i haven't been the person i was i've been a better version of the person i am as a result of reconnecting to our traditional ways. So. Wow. All right. Well, I, of course, I will not attempt to put any words to that. Um, um, so we've got about, you know, we've got about 10 minutes or so left. And I want to make sure that we get to this next place where you are here, you are out now, and you are continuing, as you said, as a Baba Lawu. Is that right? Lawu? Lawu. Lawu. Baba Lawu. Yes. Baba Awo. Baba Awo. And you are now, have, have, um, have started the Warriors Healing Circle. And yes. which is going to be taking place this the first one since you've been out is that correct no the third one third one okay all right the third one since you've been out so i want you to talk yes. about the warriors healing circle uh, you know give us the information about what's going to be taking place this saturday well this saturday on the 13th at ocean beach at 5 30 we're going to host the third warrior healing circle and the warrior healing circle is a trauma facilitation group and it has four modules to it. The first module is dedicated solely to black men. The reason it's set up for black men is because black men has to come to a point where we no longer see each other as adversaries, that we see each other as brothers, that we're able to relate to each other and build with each other and strengthen each other and support each other. And that's why I'm focused solely on brothers. The second module is for sisters, black women. And it's the exact same principle as the first module. The sisters have to start seeing each other's sisters. They have to stop competing with each other, backbiting each other, downing each other. And they have to genuinely love each other because they are each other. What one sister go through, all sisters go through. 
The third module is now we're going to bring the brothers and the sisters together. Because without each other, and I want to emphasize this, for all the brothers and sisters that's out there, please take this serious. We cannot be successful in any endeavor without each other. Our strength comes from our unity. And this is not a slogan. This is the actual fact. Look into the history of our people. It's imperative that we repair the interrelationship between black men and black women. That's a must. Nothing moves without that being repaired. So that's why that's the third component, the third module. The fourth module is just open to anyone that want to come and deal with their own traumas. But my number one priority of the first three modules because I'm focused solely on this is exclusively a black thing. An unapologetically black thing. Is it open to all? Not the first three modules, not at all. But that last fourth module it is. And this is because the state of my people is my priority. So the Warrior Hill Circle focused solely on trauma. It focused on how trauma impacts every component. How you relate to your children. How you relate to your wife. How you relate to your girlfriend. How you relate to each other. It shows you and allows you to identify the elements that stop us from being successful in all our endeavors. No man can stand alone without a sister. And no sister can stand alone without a brother. And by us being in this country, we've been told that yes, you can. But if you look at spirituality, it teaches you that that's not true. And I'm going to use the Bible because 90% of our people in the country understand that. They, I'm going to use the Adam and Eve thing. According to the Bible, Eve was made from the rib of Adam. So that means you're a part of him. And he's a part of you. Both these parts have to come together in order to be whole. And this is not a bad thing. This is a beautiful thing. But we've been taught that it's a bad thing. We've been taught that we have to be individuals. I can do it on my own. I don't need no man. I don't need no woman. I can make it through life just on. No, you can't. Spirituality teaches you that. And that's just symbolic. But the reality of it is what it is. Sisters get in places brothers can't. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Sisters have a way of processing information that men don't have. And we have a way of processing information that they don't have. But when we come together, we give these components to each other. So what happens is we had just enhanced each other. Because the quality that we possess, we give to the sisters. And the quality they possess, they give to us by us coming together. Separate, we missing these components. And these components are essential to balance. So the warrior healing circle goes into that. It goes deep into that. It allows you to identify your first trauma. It helps you see how that first trauma has influenced every decision you've made to the point of sitting in the warrior healing circle. I want all my people to be there. This is your safe space. This is the space where when you come here, love governs us. There's no judgment. There's no criticism. This is strictly about you, about healing you, nurturing you. 
That's it. That's what the healing circle is. It's the place of solace and healing. It's the original Ile, and Ile means temple in Yoruba. We go to the temple when we seek guidance. We go to the temple when we want advice. We go to the temple when we need to reconnect. And that's what the warrior healing circle is bringing back. It's bringing back them traditional energies that were specifically designed to heal and nurture the black community. This is one of the keys. I will go so far as to say that this is the key. If you heal your trauma, I guarantee you, your life will improve. Because until you can get to a place where you're no longer drawing from past experience to review and evaluate future experiences, you're not going to progress because you're allowing the past to hold you back rather than moving you forward. So if you heal that trauma, this new experience will be judged and evaluated based on what it actually is rather than what you experienced in the past. And the warrior circle also teach you how not to go into future relationships looking for signs of past betrayals and hurts. You would rather go into these looking for those things that nurture and strengthen you. Sisters, I get that we let y'all down. And I want to say this because time is over. There has never been a time in history where you sisters have ever actually turns your back on the brothers. Whatever we wanted as black men, you sisters have always given us, even at the expense of your own identities. When we decided we wanted to bozo out and become pimps, y'all was the first hoes. That's unacceptable. But you loved us so much, cared so much about us, supported us so much, that this is what you did. You accepted this because of your love and commitment to us. And as a black man, I want to say I am genuinely sorry, sis. I'm truly sorry. And I'm ashamed of what we've done. I'm, I've done it too. I may have done anything sacrilegious in the sense of putting my hands on you or abusing you mentally, emotionally. But I kept a lot of myself from you. And that's also a form of betrayal. So the Warrior Healing Circle is designed to address all these components that keep us from coming together as a collective and actually achieving the things we say we want to achieve. Because until we come together, you're going to constantly hear about brothers and sisters being killed. You're going to constantly hear about pigs kicking in the door, killing a sister, or brothers in a car getting killed while a little daughter in the back, or another brother walking down the street with a hood on to get shot. You're going to constantly hear these things. Because we can't rectify anything until we resolve the issues that remain between us and the people. And this is what the Warrior Healing Circle does. It confronts these issues directly. And we do not go around corners. So that's what the Warrior Healing Circle is. And it's being hosted again this Saturday on the 13th at Ocean Beach from 5 to 8. Stairway 16 across the street from the windmill. And I want all of us to come. I will be there. And whether you come or not, I will make absolutely certain that space is always available to you. So you don't have to be ready now. But when you are, we will be there for you. And even if that means me sitting on the beach by myself holding that space for you, I will be sitting on that beach by myself holding that space for you until you're ready. So that's what the Warrior Healing Circle is.
I have one more question. Is what modules will be taking place on Saturday? This Saturday the 13th. This module will be this module is specifically designed for brothers and sisters. Okay. So black men and black women can come to this module. And we're going to create uh, an outline to let you know the exact dates and time of each module. Okay. And that is for black men and black women who identify as black women and black men, because as you know, of course, we have, you know, the LGBTQ and non-binary um, black people, trans people. Um, right. So is, is that where the fourth module comes in for um, our people that identify as that? Uh, yes, any of those the fourth things? module, absolutely. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. The, the fourth module is for any and everybody. Got it, got it, okay. That's genuinely ready to deal with their traumas. Well, they can, and if you need to, if you would like to speak to me directly, mm -hmm. then I'm going to give you my number. And my number is 415-410-6190. And you can call me directly. All right. Fantastic. This is beautiful. One last question. Uh, are the warrior healing circles uh, conducted through the lens of the, your Yoruba practice? Yes. Excellent. Hatari, I do want to make sure that you get the last word before we uh, say goodbye for today. Well, my words is simple. And this is to all my people out there. I know we're hurting and I know we've been through a lot. But I give you my word as a black man. I'm here. Whatever that looks like. You're not by yourself. You're not alone. I'm here. And I'm going to be here. If you need me, let me know. And if it's within my power, I will be there. But I really want you to get you're not alone. That's important for me to share. All right. Thank you. It is it okay to say Baba Labo? Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much again uh, for sharing this time, sharing yourself. I appreciate you, Nube. Thank you so much for being there for us. That's our show, beautiful people. Get ready for work week with Steve Seltzer. <laughs>